You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. I just want to say welcome to those joining us online today. I know there's uh, lots of different bugs going on around there, as always is the case at this time of year, but uh, uh, we want to uh, just welcome you if you're joining us online today, and um, if you're new, we'd love to, to get to meet you, and just uh, if you want to let us know uh, who you are by indicating that on, uh, on the, uh, whatever media you're watching on. Well, we're going to continue our study of Romans chapter 12. As I mentioned last week, we're going to be in Romans 12 uh, for 10 weeks. Uh, We're kind of really slowing things down as we go through these really important uh, verses in our uh, Bibles. And um, as has been the case over and over and over again uh, for the last uh, 11, almost 11 and a half years now, um, I mean, I planned my preaching calendar well in advance, and um, God, in His timing and in His ways, He brings the right text for the right time. And uh, Romans 12, 2 is uh, the perfect text for us to be studying today in light of some events that have happened this last week. Uh, many of you are aware that uh, Bill C-4 was passed into law this last week. It, uh, I think it was on the 7th that it officially became a law in our country. And, and this law is... Um, and there's lots of different ways of putting it, but it's an anti-conversion law, uh, what they're calling it. And uh, basically, if, if, le- if taken to the letter of the law, uh, you and I, if we state what the Bible says, could have consequences. Uh, we could face uh, fines, could face jail time. And, um, and so the church across Canada has, has kind of rallied together in light of this bill, and a statement has been written. One of the guys that I serve with on uh, the TGC board, the Gospel Coalition Canada board, has drafted uh, this uh, statement that is actually being read by hundreds of churches across the nation today. And then next weekend... Uh, through Dr. MacArthur and others, there's, churches are going to also be making a statement in regards to biblical sexuality. And just, uh, it's in this light that we're doing it. It's not in, a, it's not in protest. Uh, we're, not, we're not saying, uh, we're not fighting for our civil liberties by saying this. We're not fighting for our rights in doing this. It is in the light of Acts chapter 4, uh, 17 to 20. Let me just read what was going on there, Acts 4, 17 to 20. It's in this spirit which we're reading the statement today. It says there, but in order that, uh, so this is the high priest, this was the, um, the leaders of the day, they, they are addressing the apostles and they said, but in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more any, to anyone in this name. They're warning the apostles, stop teaching about Jesus, stop stop doing miracles in his name, you got need to stop doing that. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And as a church, we want to make a statement today to say, um, we understand there may be consequences for us proclaiming what the Word of God says, but we will continue to listen to God. 
And so let me read this statement. This past week marked a monumental charge in Canadian law and society with the enactment of Federal Bill C-4, which amends the criminal code. The law's stated purpose is to outlaw conversion therapy. We strongly oppose the coercive and unscientific therapeutic practices the bill was introduced to address. We appreciate and affirm the desire of parliamentarians to protect the vulnerable. However, we are deeply concerned that the effective reach of of the legislation could be extended far beyond its stated purpose. Because its definition of conversion therapy is vague, many are concerned that it could capture parents, pastors, and counselors who teach a biblical understanding of sexuality in a variety of situations. The Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees our freedoms of religion, conscience, thought, belief, expression, and association. It is our prayer that the law will be applied and clarified as needed in such a way as to honor these charter protections. We recognize that the greatest danger facing the Canadian church is not that we might face criminal prosecution, but rather that we might compromise in our teaching of the Word of God or fall silent in our proclamation of the gospel. Along with church leaders of like conviction across Canada, we stand before you today to pledge that we are committed to obey God above all others. With the Lord's help, we will continue to proclaim the whole counsel of God without fear or favor. This includes God's life-giving design for human beings made in His image, male and female, with, the, with sexual intimacy reserved for the covenantal union of a man and a woman. We will continue to issue the call to repent of all kinds of sin and to believe the gospel, knowing that we have all sinned and that salvation through Jesus is the one true hope of the world. We will continue to love and serve all people in our community without distinction in Jesus' name. As we press on in the work of ministry, we, trust, we will trust our Heavenly Father to guard us and keep us and to work out His greater purposes for our good and His glory. We continue to pray for our government and to plead with the Lord to have mercy on our needy land. This is our resolve. This is our prayer as the Church of Canada, and we're asking the Lord that He will help us to stand firm, to be the salt and light that He's called us to be. And some might see this time as a um, a hard time, a difficult time. I'm praying that it will be a time where the church will wake up and God will use us that we might see a mighty harvest in this day. So I'm excited this morning as we once again affirm our call to proclaim the word of God as it is and then to see him tear down strongholds as a result of that. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. But before we do, let me pray for us one more time. Lord God, We do pray for our country, Canada. Lord, please have mercy on this country for all of its rebellion against you. Would you powerfully move in people's hearts and help them to see that you are the one true God and that you have made a way that people can be reconciled to you through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for our government 
that it would have your way as it leads. Lord, that you would bring about repentance in our leaders and that they would go by biblical principles that our, nations, that our nation was founded on. Lord, would you give us wise leaders to lead our nation. Lord, we pray for your church in Canada. We pray that she would be holy as you are holy. We pray that she would represent you well, holding firm to your truth, that she would walk in humility, and that she would love as you have loved. Lord, we pray that your church would not shrink back in times of opposition, but that she would be bold with the saving hope of the gospel at all times. Lord, we long to see your kingdom come and for your will to be done on this earth. Lord, may that start with your church. Help us to be faithful and enable us to persevere in hope. Lord, we thank you that we now have the privilege of studying your holy word Lord, would you lead us by the power of your spirit. Help this messenger to communicate well so that we might be transformed in our thinking and enabled to live a life of worship to the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you need a, a Bible this morning, just go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, we're going to be looking at, as I said, Romans 12, 2. And we want to be able to look down at the authority. This is our authority for life and for godliness. It is the word of God. It is what we must stand upon. We cannot compromise. We cannot shrink back in any way. We must proclaim the full counsel of what the word of God says. And so just to set up where our context, let me read verses 1 and 2 before we study today. Romans 12, 1 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." Last week, as we looked at verse 1, we were reminded that in light of the mercies of God, which we've been taught in Romans 1 through 11, in light of his great salvation, in light of his purchasing victory for us over sin and death and Satan, we ought to live our lives wholly devoted to him. We, we ought to, to live our lives with this comprehensive understanding of all that he has done and, and that we ought to live lives that are authentic for his glory, for his honor. And verse 2 ultimately is telling us how do we live lives of spiritual worship? How do we live as living sacrifices for him? And as we look at this one verse, in verse 2, we're going to see that in order to live lives of worship that are pleasing to the Lord, there are two things that we must do. First, we must refuse to be conformed to the world. We need to refuse to be conformed to the world. Paul simply says, do not be conformed to this world. To be conformed is to form or mold one's behavior in accordance with a particular pattern or set of standards. 
It is to shape one's behavior. It is to conform one's life. The believer must continually be on guard against being conformed to this world. Before Christ, this was the pattern that you lived by. You did not think anything otherwise. You, you, you lived as the world lives. It was not strange to you in any way. And as believers, even though Christ has purchased victory for us, we can still be tempted to live according to the pattern of this world. And so Paul is warning us that we must be on guard. In fact, it is likely this morning that you have been conformed to this world in one way or the other. There's things that are more overt and we're like, okay, well, I'm not like that anymore. But it's easy for us to take on the thinking of our society. We are continually being inundated with its message. And if we're not on guard, we will find ourselves adopting the thinking of this world, the values of this world, the passions of this world. And so he calls us to be on guard to not conform to the world. Now, it's helpful to us to understand in this text here, what, what does it mean to the world? Uh, some might think that it's, you know, uh, buying an iPad, right? I mean, if you're Amish, it's having electricity. It would be worldly, right? What is it that it is to, to be worldly? Well, another way that this could be translated is this age, do not follow this age. Moose says it like this. It is the sin-dominated, death-producing realm in which all people, including it, included in Adam's fall, naturally belong. It, the age began with sin in the garden. And this age will continue until Christ returns. It is a people bent on rebellion against God. And we must be on guard against that thinking. We must be on guard against that bent of life. To be conformed to this world is to value what the world does. It is to be, a, it is be passionate about the things that the world is passionate about. It is ultimately to worship what they worship. And to walk in rebellion against him. To stand as enemies against God. One day, and no one will be able to, to, to say, well, I, I don't know. Is there a God or not? They, they will see him, and the reaction will not to be fall down and worship. The reaction will be to continue to shake their fists at him. That is the heart of this age, to walk in rebellion against God. As we learned in Romans chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the age in which you once lived before Christ. And so there's this age, and then there's the age to come. And we long for that day. We cannot wait for that day when the King of kings and the Lord of lords will take his rightful place upon the throne and sin will be destroyed forever. But in the meantime, we must be on guard as his people against this age. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 4 we're reminded of this truth. Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. 
according to the will of God and Father. He has delivered us, but we must live out that deliverance, right? Our flesh will still cry out. We'll still like the the sound of what the world has to offer. We'll still believe the lies if we're not on guard. But Christ has come that we might be freed. If you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, then you are continually a slave of this world. You are a, a, a child of Satan. You don't even realize it. But you are following his ways. But I want you to hear this morning that Christ has come that you might be freed. If you would repent of your sin and believe on him, you would be freed from your sin and forgiven and reconciled to the one true God And that is our heart this morning, that all of us could say, we believe that there is one God and we want to worship him with all of our lives. And so Christ has freed us and we must live according to his ways. And so in doing so, we must be on guard against the so-called wisdom of this world. It's seeking to convince you of its values and its ways. You're getting preached to every day. Do you know that? It's not just on Sunday morning. The message here is different than the message that you're hearing the rest of the week. And we must be discerning. We must understand what is it, as the verse says here, what is the will of God? As you think about this present age, from Adam's sin on, this rebellion against God, There was, well, sure, there's one true God, but you know what? We're going to make gods of our own making. And over the centuries, there literally have been thousands of gods come up with by man. Why would they do that? So that it's about them, and it's rebellion against the one true God. I was just looking at pictures again this last week of of Nepal. I have a friend who was was over there after the earthquake. And I had seen those temples, the Buddhist temples and the Hindu temples before the earthquake. And there's places where like they're literally put up with chicken wire, right? And, and it's like, there's just, like it's going to crumble. We've got to kind of put it together. Like why would anyone worship a god like that? You can't even protect your buildings. How could you make an impact on my life? But that's the insanity of sin, to walk in rebellion against God. And so there are many people in this world worshiping gods of their own making, deceived, thinking that they can find salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Many people in our own country following other religions, other cults. But our country is not so much marked by people following religions. Our deception is found in other ways. Our rebellion is manifest in other ways. Let's think about that. Our country has redefined sexuality in every way, and increasingly so. I, I've, I've lost track of, of the terms. I, I got to ask Gabriella, you know, my, my, my 17-year-old, what's that mean? Right? Like, I have no idea. Like, it's being reinvented all the time. 
twisting God's truth in regards to sexuality. No longer one man, one woman in marriage for life. It's like it's all over the place. What about how we got here? Used to be kind of commonplace understanding. Yeah, God. That's how we got here. But that, over the last 100 plus years now, that's no longer being taught. And increasingly so, like, somehow, bang, whatever, like however you want. And then over millions of years, life, and like, no longer in the beginning, God. Twisting, twisting, twisting. Let's remove God from the picture of how we got here. If there is no God, then we have no responsibility to him. Let's convince the world that there is no God. Human life in our country is disposable. Abortions, euthanasia encouraged. Children are now encouraged to walk in disobedience to their parents. You don't need to tell your parents. Just do what we're telling you to do. We'll we'll make laws such that you don't have to be under their oppressive rule. And so children are encouraged to rebel, to sneak behind their parents' backs. The government will tell you what is best. This is only the tip of the iceberg. We can think of many different ways that our country is twisting the word Twisting the truth, feeding us lies. What's problematic about all these things is not that a sinful, rebellious world continues to be sinful and rebellious. The problem is when the church starts saying, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah, we we ought to change so that we get with the age, so that we we, we are not standing apart. We want to be seen as hip and understanding and tolerant. And so we should twist, we should change what the Word of God says. You think I'm exaggerating that? I mean, think about how much the church has changed in just the last 50 years. Just since I've been here on this earth. Has the church changed any in Canada? Change what they believe about stuff? Continually. It's not one of these, not like, like this drastic change, but it's just because we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, gotta change it. Oh, wait a minute. Guess what? Scholars have now determined that the last 1,900 years of, of, of understanding of this text was wrong. So we can now say that, well, in the old days we did this, but now we do new things. Experts, scholars, I, I wanted to say, anytime you hear those words nowadays, you just stop saying, like, okay, I need to be on guard against what I'm hearing right now. Because in our world, that's like the magic formula, right? You just say expert, you just say scholar, and of course you have to believe them. Now, we need to believe what the Word of God says. We must not conform to this world. When we think about what's going on in our country, is it not the failure of the church 
Is it not because we have not taken a stand as we ought to have taken a stand? To proclaim God's truth, not watering it down so it's more palatable for people, but but standing by what God's word says and believing in the power of the gospel? Is it not an indictment against us that Canada is in the place that it is right now today? We have conformed to the world too long. And we must stop. This last few weeks, just talking to different parents, I know that some of our teens, are, you're in Christian schools. Some of our kids are in Christian schools. And what is happening increasingly is that their fellow students are conforming to this world. Their idea of sexuality is no different than the pagan teens' idea of sexuality. And I want to encourage you teens, I want to encourage you kids, you need to be people of the word. You cannot conform to this world. Do not go to the world for your understanding of these things. You must go to God's word if you are to bring him the glory and honor that he's due. God gave us sex. It's a gift. But it's for one man and one woman in marriage for life. No sleeping together before marriage. No shacking up together before marriage. No man becoming a woman, woman becoming a man. None of that is what is best. None of that which is acceptable to God. None of that is, is, is good. And we must take a stand. We must be holy as he is holy. When the church fails to refuse conformity to the wisdom of this world and embrace its teaching, guess what? It's the end of the church. You don't believe me? James just sent me an article yesterday. I don't, he, he didn't know I was going to throw this in here today. But he sent me an article about, they're, they're, like, by 2040, these churches will be gone. Do you know that in, in um, 1985... 14.6% of Canadians said that they were a part of the United Church. 1985. 1996, it was 9.7%. In 2019, it was 3.8%. The Anglican Church in 19, uh, 1985 was 10.4% of the church. In 1996, it was 7%. And in 2019, 3.8%. Why are those churches dying? Why, why is it that people are no longer going there? Well, if you look at those churches, they are adopting the message of the world. They are conforming to the, the message of the world. And so why would you go to a church that's just teaching the same thing that everyone else is teaching? Why would you do that? So that, that on a practical basis, that makes common sense. But the other thing is that Jesus is building his church. And if you are his child, he will remove you from a church that is conformed to this world and put you in a church that is preaching God's word because he loves you, because he cares for you. And so those churches will die 100% unless they repent and start proclaiming God's word as they ought to. The greatest threat against the church is not the government. It's not special rights groups. 
It's not Hollywood. The greatest threat is that the church would take on the thinking of the world and be conformed to this age. That is the greatest threat. And it's no surprise that on an earthly level that that as the church goes, so do individuals. They begin to compromise when their leaders, when when their teachers start to compromise. And we must take a stand. Redemption this morning, are you refusing to be conformed to this world? Sometimes the influence can be more subtle. Jesus warned, warned us about being caught up in the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Just focused on our thing, focused on our problems, focused on I just, if I just have enough money, if I just have enough health, if I just have, then my life will be Instead of living according to what God's word says, we must be on guard. We are all vulnerable to adopting worldly thinking. How does this happen? How are Christians influenced by the world? Well, what you choose to immerse yourself in will impact you. We're like sponges, right? Whenever you stick the sponge in, it soaks up. And so it is for you and I. Whatever you're spending your time with, whoever you're being influenced by, will change your perspective. The books you read, the music you listen to, the social media, TV, movies, teachers, newscasts, coworkers, family, neighbors, they're all preaching a message, and you have to continually be saying, is this a message that I should be living by? You have to be on guard continually. And if you are continually being inundated by these messages, it will change you if you're not on guard. The question is whether their influence is influencing you or whether you're having an influence on them. Whether you are being influenced by the word of God. We must stand on the word. This is what he's going to bring bring up in this next point here. And so we must shape our thinking, not according to this world, but according to the Word. So if I spend all my time listening to the world, what would I expect my behavior to be? What would I expect my values to be? What would I expect my thinking to be? And so I must be on guard against its teaching. And as I said, it's not not about the means, it's about the message, Right? Do we understand that? An iPad is not satanic. It is a tool. It can be used for good or it can be used for evil. Same thing with TVs and all that other stuff, right? It's the message that you have to be on guard against. The message of this age, which is rebellion against God. And so the only way that we can do that is to first refuse to be conformed to the world, and secondly, we need to rush to be transformed by the word. We need to rush to be transformed by the word. Again, we read, it says, but be, but, okay, so don't do this, do not be conformed to this world, but, so Contrast, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
God has given us his word. We can know what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. It is found here in his word. Remember, we just read verse 1. It is in light of the mercies of God, in light of all that he has done for us, all that we were taught in chapters 1 through 11, that we now live a life of worship. It is knowledge of his word that guards us against the things of this world. Galatians 6.14 says this, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross in our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. How is it that we would be crucified to this world? You first must be in Christ. You, you have to be a new creation. You have to have the Spirit of God living within you. You must be men and women of the Word if you are to be crucified to this world. Due to the mercies of the Lord, we are able to, to do what He's asking us to do here. You can't do it on your own. Right? Okay, I'm going to be really disciplined now. Well, it's not about you. It's about living out your identity in Jesus Christ. It's by allowing the Spirit of God to lead you and guide you each day. It's by inundating yourself with the Word of God, as we're going to see here. And so we're to be transformed. This word here is only used four times in the New Testament. It's to change the essential form or nature of something. To become completely different. Becoming different from what you are. And by God's grace, we should continually be transformed. Day in, day out. This is the task from the time you come to faith in Christ to the day that you die. Transformed. It's the word that was used when Jesus was transfigured on the mount before Peter, James, and John. We read of his transformation that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. All of a sudden, you know, Jesus was totally different than he had been just a moment before. And they seen Jesus in his glory. This is what ought to be happening in our lives. We can't continue to live lives as we were. We must be transformed. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He's doing the work. When you feel like the whole world is against you, remember the Lord is with you. He's, he's empowering you. He's helping you to take a stand, to, 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 to live according to his word. Stoss says this about the, this word for transformation. It is a fundamental transformation of character and conduct away from the standards of the world and into the image of Christ himself. These, these, these two thinkings are opposing to one another continually, Right? What the Word of God says and what the world says are in opposition continually. And as His people, we must live according to His Word. His desire for you and I is that we would live differently. Paul states that this transformation is to take place by the renewal of your mind. How does that work? How is my mind renewed? How is it made better? How is it made more Christ-like? Again, we remember the context in light of the mercies, in light of the truth of what God has done for us. 
knowledge of his word is what is key. The spirit of God and the word of God. That is how our minds are renewed over and over again. Romans 8, we're reminded that God has given us his Holy Spirit. It's an incredible thing, is it not? He not only makes you a new creation, but he's like, okay, now I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to help you, to counsel you, to strengthen you. It's not about our own efforts anymore. It is the Spirit of God living with us, submitting to him. But how do I know whether the Spirit is the Holy Spirit? Do you know what I'm talking about? I really feel like I'm supposed to, okay, well, is it the spirit of the world? Is it your spirit or is it the Holy Spirit? How would I know? Is, if I just had an objective standard of truth that I could turn to, anybody have an idea where I would go? Well, of course we do, right? It's the word of God. It's the word of God. So I must be a person who is saturating myself with the Word of God. The world's message is from the father of lies. Lie after lie after lie. But God is truth. He's, Jesus said of himself, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he has revealed to us his truth. And so if I'm to combat the lies, I must know his word. There, there is no other way. For whatever reason, we want another way. Isn't that not true? Like, you, you mean I have to study this book? You, you mean I have to, to know it well if, if I'm to, to be transformed in my thinking? I, I mean, is there another way? Is there a video series perhaps I could watch? Is there, right? I, I, I'm not sure. You know, it's part of this spiritual battle, I guess. But, but we must be people of the word. I mean, again, thinking about this, the end of verse 1 where he says, it is your reasonable worship. It is your true worship. He is the one who created it all, right? He is the author of life. He is the one who knows how life ought to operate. So why would we not turn to him, turn to his word over and over again, that we would be people, like it says in Psalm 119, 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, I, I am resisting conformity to this world and I am rushing towards transformation by your word. And so I want to store up your word so that when it comes for testing, I'm ready. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Does that describe you right now? That the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly? And I love how he says it here, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It all flows out of this word of God dwelling in you richly. You're teaching one another the word. You're, you're, you're singing the truths about God. You're, 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 that's your whole focus is to, to be salt and light for his namesake by proclaiming his truth wherever you go.
What does your life look like right now? Like when you think about day to day, what are you immersing yourself in? What are you soaking in? Like if you find like devotion time for the week comes in around 30 minutes and your Netflix time comes in around 30 hours and you're wondering, well, like, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Like I just can't seem to have victory in my life. I just, you know, I'm, not, I'm not really sure why, why I just don't have the joy of the Spirit in my life. I'm not sure. Like why would we, why would we think that if I'm continually soaking myself in the world that I would be transformed by the Word. I must, I must, I must be a person who is rushing towards the Word of God. If I am to live a life of worship, and so that would be gathering together in small groups, speaking the truth of God's word together and encouraging one another, spurring one another on, having people over for coffee that you might spur one another on and encourage one another on in the word, having your unsaved neighbor over and and telling them about the gospel and proclaiming God's truth. I mean, today helps in regards to knowing God's word are like there's, there, we've never had more Right? Instead of listening to whatever your favorite radio channel is, people listen to radio anymore, whatever that might be, uh, on your way into to work, throw on an audiobook that will spur you on in your thinking about Christ. I mean, there's all different kinds of ways that we can be guarding ourselves against this message of the world and filling our hearts and minds with God's truth. I love just how this picture, again, if you just kind of look at the, the macro version of Romans. Romans chapter 1, you turn after false gods, and what happens to your mind? You, you, you have a corrupt mind. But if you are wholeheartedly pursuing God, your mind is renewed. They, they couldn't be more different. Lord, help us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. That we are be, or we're ready to be used of God. That we, that we might be bringing glory to his name. And then it says, but by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Anybody like tests? No. Okay. <laughs> so why do we have them? Why, why do we have tests? Why did why the educational system, like, we're like, we should have tests. Well, it's to determine whether you know the material or not, right? That's why we have tests. Okay, we've taught this, and now the test comes. They're like, do you know it? Do you know the right answers? And so it is in our lives. Tests will come your way. And the question will be, do you know what the will of God is in that situation? Trials will come. Will you respond in a Christ-like way? Lies thrown your way? Will you be able to hear the lie? Or will you think it's truth? Again, it's, it's, it's so easy for the lies to, to come into our minds, to, to, for us to start thinking, actually, I think that's in the Bible somewhere. I'm not quite sure where it is, but 
And if I don't know my scriptures well, I'll start believing some lies. Right? So tests. Everybody likes tests. I'm going to do a test right now. All right? Here's the test. I'm going to read eight statements. All right? Eight statements. And I want you to keep track in your mind how many are true. That's all you have to do. If it's true, then you do a check mark in your mind, okay? And at the end, I want you to tell me how many you got, all right? So here are the statements. And you think, is this true or is it a lie? God just wants you to be happy. That's number one. Two, you only live once. Three, you need to live your truth. Four, your feelings are reality. Five, your life is what you make it. Six, you need to let go and let God. Seven, the cross is not about wrath. Eight, God helps those who help themselves. All right, you got your tally? How many had 68 saying, those, there were 68 true ones there? Three to five. Two. One. Zero. Well, these eight statements are from Jared Wilson's book called The Gospel According to Satan. They're all untrue. But isn't it, I'm not saying this to indict anyone, I'm just, it, it, it just is so easy to think, like, wait, like, wait a minute, wait, isn't that, isn't that not true? That statement, I, I think it might be. The only way for us to be on guard against these lies is to be people of the word. So that we might know what is the will of the Lord. Isn't, is, that, is that not exciting to you? That you might know the will of God for your life? I don't know, back in the Back in my youth pastor days, I mean, that, that used to be like a question we had all, I had all the time. I just want to know the will of God. Usually it had to do with dating someone, all right? Right? I don't know. Is she the right one? Is he the right one? I, I don't know. You can know. Do you know that? Yeah, the Bible doesn't say anything about color of hair color of eyes, height, any of those things. But it does tell you, this is the kind of man, this is the kind of woman you should be looking for. Someone of godly character. Someone who puts Jesus first in their lives above all else. If you have common goals, common hopes, and you both love Jesus, and, and, and you've seen that pattern in your life, then... Get married. Stop waiting. Right? There's no mysterious, like, if the, if the sun comes up and it's shining in the, you know, like the Gideon thing. You know, we all want to do the, let, let the sun go back this time. You know, like that. God's given us his will right here in every sort of way. 
Everything pertaining to life and godliness can be found in this book. It is not hard to understand, and he has written it in a way that you can understand it. And so let us go to his word that we might understand his will for our lives, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. His ways are good. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus said that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. We need to be convinced that the world has nothing to offer us. We need to be convinced that we, are been, we have been crucified to this world, that we have been freed through Jesus Christ. That we might be the living sacrifices that God wants us to be. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. As we close this morning, I think it's important for us to remember who our enemy is. He's not Justin Trudeau. I know we, I, I'll just go with I. I'll use the pronoun I. I can think that often. But he's not the enemy. Our enemy is Satan, the God of this age, the God of this world. And there's only one way to defeat him. It's not going to be through protests. It's not going to be through whining and complaining and grumbling. It is by proclaiming God's truth. This is the only way that Satan might be defeated. We read in 2 Corinthians 10, Verses 3 to 6, this. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. How do we defeat Satan and all his lies? By speaking his truth, by proclaiming his truth. That's how we tear down strongholds of darkness. That's how people who are lost in darkness are saved. And as I think about this last 50 years, how many Christians have been walking around with a butter knife in the fight against Satan instead of the sword of the Spirit as we ought to? God, help us to take up the weapons that he has given us. And I want to address the young people right now. Most of them are coming next service, but... I believe that the generation now has an opportunity to make a far greater impact than our generation did. You are being attacked right now in ways that we were never attacked. We just kind of slept through it all. But I'm praying that God would make you men and women of the word. And that you would make an incredible impact 
for his glory and his honor. And that as your classmates are confused and blinded by this world, that you would proclaim his truth and you would see God rescue your friends out of darkness. Adults, that's for us too. If you've been walking around with a butter knife, lay that thing down and become a man or woman of the word that you might be transformed, that you would no longer be conformed to this world, that God might mightily use you for his glory and for his honor. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, I want to even thank you for Bill C4 this morning, for giving us a wake-up call. God, I pray that you would mobilize your church, that you would help her to be bold as she ought to be, that we would be known as Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.